Coming up on Wrestling Life. June 17th of 2023, I had my heart attack when I was wrestling a friend of mine, Lucky Ali, in Mooresville, North Carolina, and was in the hospital for a couple of days until they realized I had some blockages. And then on June 23rd, underwent, or June 21st, underwent a, what was supposed to be a triple bypass, because I had three arteries that go to your heart were all three blocked. One was blocked at 100%, one was, another was blocked at 100, and the third was blocked at 90. But when they got in, not only were those three blockages there, they found two more. So I ended up with a, a quintuple, that's five, a quintuple bypass last summer. Welcome to Wrestling Life with Ben Veal, the show that features real talk from real talent. Hello everyone, it is time for more real talk from real talent here on Wrestling Life, and I'm so excited about the conversation that's coming up for you today. My guest on this episode has worn many hats in his life so far. He's been a professional wrestler, a personal trainer, an author, a political science graduate, a bodybuilder, and a father. You may know him best from his time in World Championship Wrestling. But today he heads up Team Fearless Training Academy and is also sharing his faith journey with others through his weight room revival sessions. It is my pleasure to introduce Brad Kane, better known to us wrestling fans as Lodi. Brad, welcome to the show. How are you today, my friend? I am doing wonderful, man. Thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, it's such a pleasure. And, um, you know, I always enjoy doing these introductions. That is a lot of hats you've worn in your life, isn't it? <laughs> I have been blessed to do a lot of cool things throughout my life. And um, sometimes they go together and sometimes they don't. You know, some people give me a hard time about my <clears throat> background in the military. They're like, how did I know you were in the military? I'm like, sometimes it's it's hard to fit everything in when you're doing a 30-minute podcast or whatever. But yeah, yeah so absolutely. I, I, how long did you serve for? I was in for five years. Uh, went into the reserves when I was in college. But the day I graduated basic training, Iraq invaded Kuwait. And so then we started and I got activated and spent a year and a half on active duty during Desert Storm. The only good news for me is I did not have to go overseas. I stayed stateside the whole time. So I was in the States the whole time. I did not have to go over to the sandbox. Yeah. Wow. So that was just after you said you just graduated in political science at that time. Just, well, I just graduated basic training. I was still in college. Right. A okay. lot of my college buddies were in the reserves here in the States. And the cool thing about being in the reserves, if you're in college, you go to basic training one summer, go back to school and, and serve one week in a month. The following summer, you go to your job training, and then you just have reserve duty on the weekends, you know, one week in a month. And you get your GI Bill and your, some of your college paid for. So it seemed like a good plan for me. And so I was in between my sophomore and junior year, and I graduated August 2nd, 1990. And I walked off the parade field for graduating basic training. My mom was there, and she's in tears. I'm like, Mom, what's up? She's like, I told you you're going to war. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, Iraq invaded Kuwait today. You're going to war. <laughs> so my reserve unit was, I was in a medical field. I was a scrub nurse in the operating room. So my, my unit got activated immediately. But instead of having to go over to uh, Saudi at the time, they kept me in the States to finish my job training, which was at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. And by the time I finished my job training, the war was over. So I got to stay stateside and just work in the hospital. So a year and a half on active duty, but did not have to go overseas. Wow. That's a a, bl a blessing in, in many ways, I'm sure. Yes, so, sir. Yeah. Gosh. And, and I'm talking of blessings. I mean, it's amazing to have you on the show. You know, we're, we're recording this in early 2024. They are looking, you know, so, so healthy. But, you know, it's only last year <laughs> that you underwent open heart surgery. I mean, how, how are you feeling health wise right now? <laughs> Health-wise, I feel pretty good, uh, being 100% honest, not trying to be cool and macho or whatever. You know, J June 17th of 2023, I had my heart attack when I was wrestling a friend of mine, Lucky Ali, in Mooresville, North Carolina, and was in the hospital for a couple of days until they realized I had some blockages. And then on June 23rd, underwent – or June 21st, underwent a what was supposed to be a triple bypass because I had three arteries that go to your heart were all three blocked. One was blocked at 100%, one was, another was blocked at 100 and the third was blocked at 90. 
But when they got in, not only were those three blockages there, they found two more. So I ended up with a, a quintuple, that's five, a quintuple bypass last summer. Wow. Did you have, did you have any idea before you had your heart attack that you'd, you'd, you had any kind of heart issues? I, I had a couple of issues that had started rearing their head a few weeks earlier. And I had a couple of clients and some wrestling friends of mine as well as Charles Robinson, who's referee for WWE, we've been friends for years, who had been dealing with AFib. And I thought that may have been what I was having issues with. I was having a racing heartbeat or whatever. And it turned out it was a little more serious than just AFib, obviously. Um, but since then, I've taken pretty good care of myself and listened to what the doctor said. And I imagine uh, it was the second week of December, December 8th, um, I managed to come back with the Christian Wrestling Federation out of Dallas, Texas. And we had four shows in 48 hours down in Texas. And I wrestled five times. So my first weekend back into wrestling, six months after my surgeries, I did five shows in 48 hours. And that was not expected. I knew we had a couple of shows to do, but I had doing five matches and four shows. And so God took good care of me. That's incredible. How, how have you had to change your lifestyle um, since the surgery? The interesting thing was the doctor and everyone I dealt with, cardiologist, felt like none of my past drug use or any of that stuff had caused my issues. That it, more, it was more hereditary than anything else. I already eat what they consider and most people would consider really clean um, because, again, still wrestling at my age, I always felt like I needed to look the part. And so many of my cohorts that once they come off TV – they put a little weight on. They don't re- They don't get in the gym quite as often. They kind of let their bodies go. And instead of wrestling in trucks, they maybe put on some longer pants or put on a shirt or something. And it, I've, t- I've told my kids multiple times that if I ever go to the ring with my body covered up, make me retire. Because if I don't look the part, I don't need to be doing it anymore. So, um, you know, the, the changes were just being more mindful of, you know, my sodium intake and stuff and making sure I, I keep an eye on everything. and. Thankfully, um, I'm feeling, like I said, really good. I got back in, you know, back in December, wrestled down in Texas, wrestled in Georgia, uh, wrestled weekend before last and have a pretty full spring coming up. So getting back to my normal schedule of working almost every weekend and still running the wrestling school. And my body has thankfully healed really fast. And I, I've said this a hundred times over, but I'll say it again. God knew what he was doing when he created me and he gave me what I call starfish-like healing abilities. I always heal pretty quick from no matter what kind of surgery or injury I have. I, I'm blessed that I bounce back really fast, and I and I, I credit him for most of that. Well, let, let's let's talk about that then. You know, you and I have, okay. have, have kind of connected over, over a shared faith, and I've been very drawn towards your social media channels and how you're you kind of broadcasting and sharing your, your faith and testimony with others. Um, I'd love you to talk a little bit about the Weight Room Revival Sessions in terms yes, of sir. if you can explain for anyone that doesn't know who's watching today what they are and um, what the journey was that led to them and, and the impact they've had so far. Absolutely. I had an idea um, maybe a year and a half ago of, you know, you and I were talking before we started today. I, I have a personal training studio. So obviously I pay rent on my personal training gym and it's there. And Thankfully, through the Christian Wrestling Federation and some other groups, there's a group out of Georgia called Hope Championship Wrestling that are Christian-based wrestling groups, which allow us to, you know, at intermission uh, or, or to speak uh, at these shows and give our testimony and maybe give a message and that kind of thing. But part of me over the last couple of years, Nikita Koloff and I have done some ministry work together multiple times and we're close, but he and I did a TV show maybe two or three years ago about how so few men now are filling the godly role laid out for men to be in the Bible, to be good, sound, biblical men. And the world definitely doesn't preach and teach what the Bible calls us to be. If you're, if you're a follower of Christ and you want to be a good biblical man, which is the spiritual head of the household and the one who prays and the one who makes sure you go to church. I found through my years of speaking and going out and uh, been speaking now since 2012 at different events and different things. And 
so many times now, and there's nothing wrong, and I want to make sure I get this across, there's nothing wrong with a woman who loves Jesus. As a matter of fact, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman, it's phenomenal, but she's not meant to be the household leader when it comes to praying and that kind of thing. Not that she can't pray. That's not what I'm getting at, but there are certain roles the Bible calls for the man to, to fulfill. And in so many churches and so many of these events, these women come up afterwards and, you know, I'm signing autographs or whatever the case may be. And like, you know, I really got my family here today and they're standing over there. Can they come over and say hello? And it's almost like in some families, the female's taking on that role. And I just feel like sometimes guys aren't getting deep enough in the word to realize that's what they're called to do um, to be followers of Christ. And so we had an idea of maybe doing some things at the gym and getting a small group together. And I've got to be very honest. Um, I, I, I wrestled with this. I had this idea and I was like, nah, I don't want to do it. And and I've said this a couple of times, every time I wrestle with Jesus, I lose. It's not, <laughs> it's, 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 that's never a good idea because his way is going to be better. And my girlfriend really pushed me to follow through on this plan, this idea that I had. And I'm very thankful for that. And so we've had two so far. They're called, like you said, the weight room revival. And at the first one, we had Nikita Koloff speak and the wrestler Gunner slash Jackson Riker from WWE, who's now retired, but a good friend of mine, both spoke. And we just had the second one in January, and we had Caprice Coleman from Ring of Honor, the announcer there, my old tag team partner, Scotty Matthews, spoke. And we've got the third one coming up uh, March 14th. And what we're doing is every other month, the second Thursday of the month, we invite 50 to 55 guys about what we can get in the gym to come into the gym. We give everyone free food. And we have the, you know, our speakers there who give different messages on their testimony, but also how to be a godly man where the world looks at us sometimes and judges us based on our job, how much money we make or what kind of influence we, or affluence we have where God looks at your heart. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing is sometimes we have a tendency to get caught up in chasing what the Joneses are doing or trying to keep up with them. And we're trying to please the neighborhood or please the wrestling fan or please a critic as to are we doing that? Or are we trying to please God? Because I want to please that audience of one because one day I want to hear those words. Well done, my faithful servant, you know. Yeah, and I love that because I, I love there's a real authenticity to what you know. You mentioned, um, you know, Chad, Nikita, yourself, Caprice. Like I love there's a there's a real um, and uh, there's a real authenticity to what you guys are doing. And you know, as you say, like in in the wrestling business, which at times isn't exactly the you know the realist of environments. Uh, right, great, right. You know, it's great to see you know you guys using your profile for something that you all personally really believe in it's also really interesting what you say about the role of the role of man because as well as the kind of godly man what i think's definitely shifted in in recent years and i found this as a kind of working father is understanding what your role really is in the home and actually you know the, the models that we maybe grew up with of our fathers and certainly our grandfathers i think the modern man and modern masculinity is quite a confusing topic to unlock and certainly one that i have wrestled with countless times yes, sir. in terms of should i be the breadwinner should be should i be at home with the kids more you know should i be should i be a, a you know a stern father should i be a, a very caring and compassionate father it's i've i've found i you know i've come on a real journey with my own masculinity since becoming a father of two in terms of trying to work out where i fit whilst also right recognizing that maybe unlike the generations that came before me I'm also still like a big kid at heart. Like, you know, I'm I'm here, I'm here, I'm, you know, I'm turning 40 this year and I'm, you know, my job is speaking to wrestlers and I still have wrestling toys on my shelf. So, you know, I'm also, you know, I, I'm well aware of, you know, who I am, but then that you struggle that with the professional side and then the, the faith side and the side of you as a father and a husband, as a provider. There's a, there's a right. lot of, um, we talked about hats earlier. There's a lot of hats you have to wear to be a man these days. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no, there's no guidebook for it either. Apart from one. Apart from the Bible. Book. That's the only exactly. one we got. <laughs> exactly. It's a good place to start. So, um, yes, sir. yeah, no, I mean, it's great to watch the journey. It'd be interesting to see how your, you know, the impact that those weight room revival sessions continue to have. I mean, how many people, how many 
um, guys are kind of turning up for that currently. So here, here's the thing that something I didn't foresee that has been really cool and I think is going to continue to grow. We, again, with the gym arrangement, we move some equipment around. You know, the speakers sit in the wrestling ring because I have a training center there, obviously. We bring the chairs in and we can comfortably fit 50 to 55 people. And so my idea was, you know, these guys can then maybe come together because we have some wrestling fans. We have people from all walks of life that have been coming to this. And sometimes I find that guys just don't have another guy to reach out to or, or that has that same faith or that biblical background. And so I wanted to provide that to the guys who were actually here. And what I didn't think about, again, just yeah, I, I never claimed to be hyper intelligent. And so I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but the, right reach, that we've had, <laughs> <laughs> the reach that we've had online has been, I think, for the, the investment of time and even capital, phenomenal. We had over 3,000 people watch the first Weight Room Revival online after it was up, and it's still up, as is the second one. And we were over 3,000 on that one, and, and the commercials that we've done for the upcoming ones have gotten you know a thousand, a couple of thousand views each. So we're having a lot more people than just the 50 or 55 that show up at the gym hear about this. I, I did a wedding on Sunday. I officiated a wedding for a wrestling promoter of mine, friend that I've known for almost 20 years. And I was there and there were a couple of wrestlers at his uh, wedding. And one guy walked up and told me like, he, he lives two and a half hours away. He's like, Hey, I've got to work every night. You know, I've worked second shift. I can't make your weight room revivals, but I have free time at work. I've watched every one of them and they're phenomenal. And he said, thank you. Keep, please keep doing them. So I know there's a, there, they are reaching people there. And that was, an aspect that I didn't necessarily take into account ahead of time. But now that we've done it and we see, I think we can get an even bigger reach if we, if we keep working on that. And so that's kind of where we're headed now. Well, you know, I think you, we'll definitely share in the show notes the links to, to how to view it. I think Thank you. What, what's really cool about this is, you know, you, you're talking about kind of God's plan. I mean, you have a profile through, a, a, a very unusual platform of you know if you go back to where you were 20 right. obviously we'll come back to we'll come to wcw and we'll come to the west hollywood blondes and all that stuff but you have a <laughs> you have a starting point but that starting point introduced you to a generation of fans and a generation of, of of men specifically and that has given you a profile and then you know you mentioned about you know uh gunner nikita koloff etc like you've all you've all got equity in your names from this right. large life world of sports entertainment. And I've, I've had similar conversations, you know, with Mark Mero talking about his faith with, yeah. with Buff Bagwell talking about his sobriety journey. Like there is huge power in use, you know, in the, in the world we live in today, what great power is to use your social profile and your influence to engage others globally. And, you know, just think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that wasn't possible. So I think it's incredible. Right. Right. And that's one thing that Keith and I, the, the TV show we were doing, it was funny. He pointed out to me that he had already obviously thought this through. He said, you know, the entire careers, your career, my career, we were in our minds doing everything we could to be better wrestlers, you know, make my body better, make my wrestling better, allow me to speak better. And what did we do? You know, we got in an airplane, we flew to a town, we went out, we performed, we spoke on the mic, spoke on the microphone went back to hotel, flew to the next town, did it again. And in our minds during those years, we were doing everything we could to be the best professional wrestler possible. But Nikita said it was God's plan all along. That was just our practice. So we're so comfortable now to go out and do what we do because we go into places we've never been where we don't know anyone to speak and share the gospel and do it boldly. You know, when Scotty Matthews, my tag team partner, and I put Team Fearless together, we, we put it together with three things that we're unashamed and willing to stand on any street corner, any locker room, or any wrestling venue and talk about our love for Jesus Christ. And because of the platform we've been given, like you mentioned, um, to get in front of so many people, the thousands and millions of people that we performed in front of on TV or even in person, you put me in a church in front of 200 people, and that's like falling out of a boat and hitting water. That's just yeah. easy, you yeah. know, because we've had the practice at it. Now, little did we know while we were doing that, 
what God was getting us ready for. But then again, that's kind of how God works. We don't always know his plan or where we're going to end up. So. And, and the thing that's like, the thing that's overlooked about pro wrestling as well is, you know, it's really high pressure, isn't it? In terms of like, you've got to, you're talking oh. about speaking, speaking on a microphone in front of a, a crowd of say 20, 30,000 people. There's no, right. there's, there's no do over if you fluff your lines. Um, there is no do over. <laughs> you know, so, so talk about kind of going, going um, kind of into a, a tough environment from day one and, and you're, your transition to WCW was 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 pretty quick, wasn't it? From your training with CW Anderson, it was. It, it was, and again, in hindsight, I, I can only give God the credit for that. And and back then, obviously, I was not because I got a far cry from my walk with Christ when I was doing that. But there's no reason that two years from the time I met CW Anderson and took my first bump. I was sitting in the palace at Auburn Hills getting ready to do my first pay-per-view for WCW in front of 18,000 people live, but millions of people worldwide watching the pay-per-view. And that kind of rise to that level was astronomically fast for very little. And again, people will say, well, you were the one who worked out and you were the one who you know, already had the body and all that kind of stuff. But um I thought I put in a lot of work to get to there and didn't realize how green I was. You know, I was so green. I, the joke is I was still blue and yellow. Um, but <laughs> I, I felt like I deserved being there. I'll never forget having this argument with Raven because he had been so instrumental in getting me that spot. And when I first started, Perry Saturn hated me. And here we were. I, I'm rooming with Perry and riding with Perry. And Raven's like, you know, because you had – he was talking to me. He's like, you had this attitude of like you deserve to be here and you always knew you were going to make it. And I'm like, you know, I busted my butt for two years to get here. <laughs> and he's like, Saturn's been doing it for 15 to get here. You know, Bray, it's not even close. And, and I just remember, I'm like, oh, now I see why he hates me. You know, but it took me a little while. And so it's just one of those things where when you're in it, you can't necessarily see the forest for the trees. But in hindsight, for me to take credit for any of that stuff and think that it was me and not God's plan is just ridiculous. <laughs> do, you th- do you think you entered, um, you know, the, the the big promotion too soon? Do you think you should you, you would have benefited from having more time? Because of course, if you had waited longer, the flip side is you entered WCW at its absolute peak. Who knows right. what your career would have? Who knows where you'd have been if you'd entered in '99 or 2000? Right, because again, you, you had two more years to that and there is no WCW. Yeah. So, you know, maybe for, for what God wanted to do with me, he put me there at the right time at the exact, you know, when he wanted me to. And I feel like that was way more him than me. If I would come along later, I look at some of those guys and I'll throw a name out. Someone who I just saw uh, third week in December, I was down wrestling South of Atlanta in Georgia and Alan Funk, Queewee was there. And he was a little behind me when he started mm-hmm. um, at the power plant when he hit TV. And he was part of that group that WCW had held on to that hadn't gotten let go when Vince came in and bought the company. But you never saw Kiwi do much on WWE mm-hmm. TV because they ended up letting a lot of those guys go. Mm-hmm. So if I'd been a couple years later and come in with that group, um, I don't know that I've had the same effect that I did coming in a year and a half, two years earlier. It's Ben Bill here, host of Wrestling Life. This show is all about real talk from the talented individuals who shaped wrestling's past, present and future. And when it comes to honouring wrestling's past, I have to give a quick shout out to the great team and our friends at BigBlueCage.com. Big Blue Cage Wrestling Store is your one-stop online shop for some truly awesome wrestling gear. Big Blue Cage's replica championship belts include the very best designs from the Golden Era, New Generation and the Attitude Era, including the much-beloved Winged Eagle Belt, the iconic Intercontinental Championship, which in my humble opinion is the greatest belt design of all time, the Attitude Era Big Eagle and even the Big Gold Belt, all available either in CNC or deep hand-etched plates and with real leather straps. And that's not all! Big Blue Cage are also the exclusive stockists of other old school items that I absolutely love, including WWF, WCW and old school Hasbro sock sets, 
and the one accessory that every wrestling fan's car needs, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage wiper blades, it's time for the Mega Powers to explode once again. With UK and worldwide delivery options available and custom designs accepted, head on over now to BigBlueCage.com. Did you appreciate the the gravity of what you were walking into in WCW? Because the time you arrived, you know, and, and to get such a kind of high, high profile spot, uh, spot rather in, in Raven's flock at a right. time when WCW was still trouncing the World Wrestling Federation in the ratings. Did you, did you recognize like, wow, I've. No, no, not I, I, to be 100% honest with you, Ben. No, I, again, it, it was, I look back on it and I say it was a dream come true. Cause I grew up, you know, a wrestling fan, obviously. And, and, and being, becoming friends and wrestling all the guys I grew up watching. I, I tell people it was kind of like a fantasy camp that I would have done for free. And they paid me ridiculous amounts of money to do it. But I don't think there's any way possible while you're in that spot, you realize how blessed and how great that was until now I'm 28 years, 27 years removed from that. And I see what the guys do today to even have an opportunity to make it. And, and that was another thing too. There was a group of us out in North Carolina. There was about 15 of us that all used to do these indie shows together in like 95 and 96. And we all ended up on TV with contracts. So it just kind of felt normal. Mm. You know, I'm like, Hey, I'm up here with all my, like there was Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy and Joey abs and Shannon Moore and Shane Helms and CW Anderson and Steve Carino, Chili Willie, what DCW, all those guys, this group of us that all wrestled in the Carolinas together, who all ended up getting contracts. Um, it just seemed like the normal thing to do, but that doesn't happen every day. You don't have 20 guys from a one small area. Like it's like the group that came out of Minneapolis, you know, with Henning and rude and all those guys and Nikita and that whole bunch. You just don't have that happen that often. And, for us, it almost just seemed like, well, we wrestle. We should be on TV. We should go there. And again, looking back after doing this for you know twenty nine years now, um, you realize that's few and far between. Mm. You know, so yeah, um, no way I, I could have realized it. I, I had people raving trying to tell me how how blessed I was, and I didn't want to hear it. You know. So how did, how did your friendship with Raven come about then? Oh, love him to death. Love him with all my heart. And probably no one in the wrestling business helped me, gave me more than Raven. And I try to always preface everything I say with that because I don't feel like there's anything I could ever do moving forward or in the past to repay him for those things. I met Raven um, at a bar in Atlanta. I was with Johnny Green, who was a wrestler at WCW at the power plant. His wrestling name was Johnny Attitude. He did some of the Saturday night shows. And Johnny passed away a couple years ago. But Raven had just come down from ECW when I had started the power plant. He hadn't been on TV, but for a couple of weeks. And we were in a bar and Johnny said, hey, there's Raven. Let's go say hello. And I'm, I was not an ECW fan. Even though I was a wrestler, I just I didn't get into it. I didn't follow it. I didn't want to learn about it. And he, I said, you know, I don't know him. I don't want to bug him. If you want to go say hello, I'll just stay here. And so Johnny walks off. He comes back in 30 seconds or a minute. He goes, Hey, you need to go say hello to Raven. I'm like, bro, I already told you, I, I don't know him. He goes, no, he wants to meet you. Okay. He wants to meet. <laughs> Why does he want to meet me? I mean, I, I had just started the power play. Just been through the trial. I mean, I don't think I've been in Atlanta a month. And he goes, no, I told him you were a personal trainer and all these bodybuilders you trained. He's looking to hire a personal trainer. So I went over and Raven's like, so tell me what you've done. And I just started rattling some things off, you know, and he said, oh, so you're at the power plant. Yeah. And that was basically it. And he looks at me and goes, all right. He said, took out a pen and a paper. And he wrote it and he goes, here's my address. Come pick me up tomorrow at 12 o'clock and we'll go to the gym. I'm like, what? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I just hired you as my personal trainer. Let's do a shot. And I'm like. I'm not even, what are you talking about? I don't even drink and, uh, at this point. And, you know, and he's like, now nah, we're going to have a shot. You're, you're my new personal trainer. I'm like, I don't think being your personal trainer drinking with you is a really good idea. But <laughs> so, uh, long story you know, sped up in short, I started training him. And within two weeks, he offered me a job as his personal assistant. He said, you know, you're too good to just be my personal trainer. When I'm out of town, 
would you mind picking up my dry clean, whatever, I'll pay you X amount a week. And I just sold my personal training studio. So I wasn't working other than doing indie shows on the weekends. And he hired me as his personal assistant, which meant I went over and woke him up every morning, cooked his breakfast, took him to the gym. We trained. And um, three months later or so, we were sitting in a bar one night. It was a Thursday night. And uh, he said, man, back then, WCW wasn't doing a lot of house shows. They had Monday Night Nitro. They had the pay-per-view. But the weekends, Raven was home. Well, he was home in Atlanta, but I was wrestling every weekend back in the Carolinas. So I was on the road. I was doing indie shows on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And he's sitting there, and Stevie had just gotten hurt. Richards had just gotten hurt. He said, man, I sure do wish you were on TV with me. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> it was like 1130, and we're sitting in a bar in Atlanta. And he gets on the phone. He calls Terry Taylor, who was the booker. And uh, Terry had known me from the power plant. I'd done a couple of jobs down at the WCW at the TV tapings we did down in Florida. And he said, hey, do you know Brad Kane from the power plant? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, how about if I put him in the flock on Monday at Nitro? And he goes, oh, yeah, I forgot. Okay. Well, thanks anyway. All right, cool. And he hangs up. And I'm like, well, that didn't go too well. I, I guess he said no to Nitro. He goes, he said no to Nitro because we've got a pay-per-view Sunday. You're starting at the Palace of Auburn Hills in Detroit on Sunday. And I'm like, it's wow. Thursday night at ele- it's Thursday night at eleven thirty, Ben, and he's telling me I'm starting at the pay per view on Sunday, and I've got dark hair. And he looks at me, and goes, "Eh, you don't really look like a star. Go dye your hair blonde. I'll get you some black leather pants. Let's make you Billy Idol." So I spent all day Friday um, running around Atlanta, getting some black leather pants, the boots, the chains, the glove, the whole nine yards. Had my hair dyed three times because I went from dark to blonde, <laughs> fried my scalp. And caught an eight o'clock flight out on Saturday morning to go to Detroit to be there for the pay per view, and everybody saw my debut that night. I think that's the night we beat Riggs up and carried Riggs off, put Riggs in the flock, and from there on, there was the Lodi monster. Lodi was born. Lodi was born. Was there ever any discussion for for any name? Other, obviously, there's the Billy Idol link and the look. Was there ever a discussion for other names, or was it always Lodi? <laughs> There was. And are you ribbing me now or are you being serious? I'm being serious. You, you don't know the story behind this? Well, I've heard something I've heard something about lawsuits, but I thought you could explain it better. <laughs> well, for, well the, the, first and foremost, obviously, if I'm going to be Billy Idol. Hey, we'll call him Idol. Yeah, we can't do that because Billy Idol has a copyright on that look and sure. the name. So the WCW lawyers looked at me in my outfit. And they're like, if you copy more than 68% of Billy Idol's look, you can't call yourself idol. And they look at my gimmick and whatever. And they're like, bro, you're 99% Billy idol. We can't call you <laughs> Billy idol. Yeah. So Raven had a couple of ideas, which Eric Bischoff shot down. I won't repeat what he threw out there. I can't believe he said this. And Bischoff said, absolutely not. But idol is obviously, um, you know, Lodi spelled backwards. So we just turned it around and that's when the actual Lodi was born. The first couple of times I was on TV, I, they never had a name for me. They didn't give me my name. That was in November when I started, uh, or I, the end of October. Uh, they first time they announced my name was my opening match on Nitro in December of '97 against uh, Chris Benoit, and that was the first time they announced my name on TV. I think I, you know, uh, there's so much in a name when it comes to wrestling. I think Lodi just. It just sounds great. It's just a great name. Yeah. It just works. Yeah, it, it? Yeah. It, it, it did. It worked well, especially with the flock and the guys with the two syllable names. And that's why, you know, working with kids now, it's like, you know, they'll come up with the names like Bob Smith. Like, well, that's kind of boring, you know? And the thing is like Lodi, they can chant that or, you know, it's funny. Um, my daughter was not around obviously when I was on TV, but with the birth of the network, she was able to go back and watch some of my old stuff. And funny story. She's a huge She's in a performing arts school. She's been a big theater actress her entire life. Started doing plays when she was in second grade. And that's her whole life is performing. But she was probably six or seven. And we were watching some of the stuff on the network. And she's blown away because the whole arena is chanting, Lodi sucks. Lodi sucks. Dad, they hate you. And I'm like, but I'm the bad guy. And she goes, Dad, they hate you. I don't understand. Like, why do you want to be the bad guy? They they, they all dislike you. And a God moment, a dad moment. I said, hold on a second. I, I couldn't make her understand. I said, how many times have you seen The Lion King in New York? And it was like three or four. She goes, 
Do you like The Lion King? She goes, yeah, I love it. It's one of my favorite musicals. I'm like, what do you think about Scar? He's like, oh, Scar's terrible. He's terrible. I'm like, what do you think about Scar when he leaves the theater and goes home to his wife and kids? Like, well, he's probably just a normal dad like everybody else. There you go. And she's like, oh, you're the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> and what would the Lion King be without Scar? Exactly. But it clicked. It was so, I mean, and again, I told you before, I don't claim to be intelligent. I think that was one of those God-dad moments. God's like, here's how you're going to get this across to your daughter. Talk about the Lion King. And it, it worked great, but we still laugh about that to this day because it was a process. She just could not fathom why I I, I wouldn't mind somebody, you know, 20,000 people chanting, Lodi sucks. And I'm like, I'm kind of doing my job. That's what yeah. I get paid to do. Dad, they hate you. And so, but the Lion King reference, we were golden that. after that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So what? So when did she discover the West Hollywood Blondes then? Oh, I don't, you know, all that was done. She was born in 2007. So all that, you know, all the WCW stuff was way past. And um, that, that's, that's something we've never really had a conversation about. She's 16 now. So she knows it's all, it, it's all a work for her. So she's good with it. So what what are, what are your memories of the team, Brad, and and obviously the controversy that surrounded that for a period oh. as well? How how do you how do you land on that? Looking back at that team now, but obviously that's a big part of your wrestling. It was journey. a huge it was a huge part of my journey and a huge part of my WCW career. Obviously, um, there's a lot of sadness and bitterness there for the fact of why we were actually taken off TV. Um, you know, glad. The, the group Gay and Lesbians Against Defamation were the group that was behind getting us removed from TV. And the thing that a lot of people don't understand or don't know was that GLAD came out, that they had a guy who's called their watchdog, more or less, who watched the media and different things for any time they would be bashing or anything that would defame or, or uh, say negative things about the gay and lesbian community. And they approached AOL Time Warner after Turner had sold. And the five things that they claimed were the reason they wanted us taken off TV, none were true. Uh, this was all covered in the uh, USA Today. It was in the Washington Post. One of the things they, they were upset about was they claimed that we never won a match. Well, Lenny was the Cruiserweight champion. How do you never win a match if you have a, if you have the cruiserweight belt and you keep it? Um, the month they kicked us off TV, that when they pulled us, we were supposed to face Harlem Heat, and we were going to be the surprise tag team at that pay per view, and we're supposed to get the tag team belts. And they, again, they said we never won a match. Well, again, Lenny had the the cruiserweight belt, never lost it. It was one of those. And if you go back in the history books, it's a phantom thing that I think he gave. He said he lost on a house show to psychosis. It never happened. We just turned it back in. Um, they they said, Glad did, that I was announced as Lenny's gay tag team partner every arena when I came out. The words gay were never used or homosexual were never used on TV or in any arena. Um, so that was two. Uh, the, the, one of the things they said was they would have been fine if our characters weren't brand new, if we had just, if we'd been around for a little while. Well, by the time the West Hollywood Blondes came around. I've been on TV for two and a half years and Lenny been around even longer. So it wasn't like we were brand new characters. It, there were, there were a lot of fallacies with what they were uh, protesting about. One of the things where they had, they gotten upset when we did a thing in Atlanta where we'd come out of a room and the they panned back with a camera. It said closet. And we went the room we'd walked out of and they had complained when that happened. And they explained to them at WCW, you know, we're a weekly episodic TV show, we don't replay shows over and over and over again. And they claimed that after they were told that show would never air again, WCW continued to air this show. Well, if you watch Nitro or Thunder, they, they didn't re they re-aired, you know, Nitro that night. They would replay it back to back on the here in the States. But as far as like a, a week later or whatever, we didn't have reruns. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the things they were claiming fell short. And that that was frustrating because I felt like uh, we were getting really good ratings. And again, things that happened that far ago, people don't necessarily remember, but you know, with the sheets, we can always get the quarter hour ratings. And Lenny and I were doing four fives, four sevens, four nines. 
and Bischoff and Hogan were doing one twos and one threes. They had that what we call change the channel heat. You know, in '99, the WWE product was starting to go downhill, and WWF was picking up WWE. And but our core out ratings were up. We were doing great. We were one of the highest rated segments of the show. And we always joke if you can get something over with the boys in the back, the fans will probably like it. Mm. And um, it was one of those things where the boys would give us a hard time about what we did and our characters. But for instance, you know, we'd come back through the curtain some nights and the boys would just be standing there and they would, we walk through and everything's kind of quiet and they would always kind of like, it's like that golf clap. Like, I can't believe you guys just went out there on live TV and did what you did. Um, and the other thing was that which, which you knew you were over with the boys is when they would make fun of you and call you a derogatory name in front of everybody. And then 30 seconds later, big, Kurt Henning would be like, Lodi, come here. I got a spot for you and Lenny. Try this tonight. And so much of the stuff we did was given to us by Stephen Regal and Dave Taylor. And, and the guys just always, it, you know, the boys were giving us more spots than we could fit into our matches. Wow. It was like we had so many people helping us out backstage because the gimmick was fun. Uh, Lenny and I did not know each other very well before we did this together on TV. And he and I, clicked like very and i think the fact that we clicked in real life that chemistry carried over on camera um some of the things we did in the ring were not planned they were just we came up with on the fly and it worked and it's funny how we've wrestled multiple times over the last 10 years we'll go two years not see each other talk on the phone send a christmas card or whatever and keep up with each other but we'll re get reconnected to go do a show or something and it's like we we just did it yesterday. It's it's always so easy to fall right yeah. back into that, and we just and we have a lot of fun with it, you know. So that's true. It, friendship, that was isn't it? yeah, it, and that, that's one thing that came out of it. You were saying earlier, what what are your memories of that? What what are some of the good things or whatever? And my friendship with Lenny and the times he and I shared together. Uh, you know, it was nineteen ninety nine. We met some girls down in Texas, and there's a lot to this story, but I'll give you the short version. Um, cause we were in Lubbock, Texas. Lenny won the cruiserweight belt from Ray Mysterio in Lubbock, Texas, but we were there a couple of days early before thunder. Cause we had to do a photo shoot and some other things became friends with some of the girls that worked at the gym and the gym owner, Lenny and I were both let go from WCW right before it was bought. And Lenny was back down in 2000. So 2000, 2001, whenever that took place, Lenny was down in Texas. He was living in Minneapolis doing an indie show. And this girl, one of the girls that we had met comes to his indie show just to say hello and see him again after, you know, four or five years. They started dating. They got married. They're still together. Uh, so, I mean, we it? met his wife in 99 and it's 2024. And they live together in Florida. And they're great. You know, so there, there's some really cool stories that have come out of, you know, our friendship and that whole thing. And again, just there's lots of behind the scenes stuff, behind backstage stuff with the other guys. That, that was really cool that we enjoyed. Well, that's wrestling life right there, isn't it? It was amazing. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Um, I, I know there was a, there was talk about you taking the team, albeit under a different name, over to TNA. And I believe there was plans right. for that. And then unfortunately you, you got injured, but did, was, I, is that, I, I did. that or is that true? It is. No, I, I signed a contract before TNA ever started and I was, working i was in charlotte and we were working with john boy and billy and doing their wrestling company and i signed a four match contract with tna to start with them and ended up going to the hospital and having my second discectomy and had to have neck surgery i was out for 18 months and that's where i brought him up earlier but come back to alan funk took my place Quiwi. he stood in with lenny and they did the first four shows as the rainbow express Right. Okay. So this is back in the day when NWA TNA was running those weekly pay per views, right? Yes, sir. But when yeah. when they when they, when they first started, yes. Yeah. When they very first started, I had the, I had the initial contract. I think Jeff sent it to me, and I signed it. I want to say maybe two weeks before my surgery, and then once I had my surgery, I knew I was going to be out for a while. Mm. Do you think there's more story to be? T Do you think there was more story to be told in that tag team? Uh, with Lenny and I, mm. uh, 
You know, we, the last when did we wrestle together last? We we reconnected in 2019. There's a big show in Winston Salem, North Carolina, here called Wrestlecade. We uh, reconnected and did that, and we've done some other shows here and there. Um, you know, Lenny, he's come up with a couple of different names for our new tag team, something fabulous over 50 or something along those lines, <laughs> since we're both a little older. And, um, you know, of course, the West Hollywood blonde thing is kind of funny since I'm bald now. That doesn't necessarily fit us anymore. Uh, but, but he and I, and like I said, in our chemistry and just who we are as people as a tag team, it just, for whatever reason, that always works. And I think it's hard for your average person who doesn't have a background in wrestling or hasn't been a wrestler to understand, like, when Lenny and I were together, and the same thing in the flock with Raven and I and Saturn and I, when you travel with someone like that, you become closer than family almost because you're together 24 hours a day. You know, I mean, you room together, you ride together, you fly together, you work out together, you eat together, you wrestle the same tag team. It's just if you don't have some kind of friendship or relationship, the road and that lifestyle can be hard. I mean, I, there, there have been tag teams that I know of that – performed okay together, but didn't have that kind of relationship off the road. They wouldn't room together, wouldn't ride together. They'd meet at the show. Um, but I think Lenny and I becoming close and having the kind of friendship we did, that chemistry, like I said, um, rolled over into our on-air characters and our on-air chemistry, which was, I, th I think, phenomenal. I have all the tag team partners I've had from the flock to other guys and other things I've done. The in-ring chemistry that Lenny and I had, I just, I haven't had with anyone else. What I, what I love about the conversation on conversations I'm having through this show is how much friendship there actually is within the wrestling business, because, you know, we were talking off air, there you are wearing your Arn Anderson t-shirt, you know, you're a good friend of yours. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the whole reason this conversation is coming about is really because of friendship. You know, I started off with Nathan Cruz, Nathan Cruz is a good friend to John Schuyler. John Schuyler is a good friend to Brock Anderson. Right. Brock Anderson, you've trained, you're good friends with. And it's it's great to see this kind of, I guess the, the different generations that are now working together for the future of this business. Like you've you've got you right. at the stage you're at, Brock, who is you know so new to the business, but with such a a bright future ahead of him. Um, yeah. You know, John Schuyler, who is a veteran, but perhaps now going to be entering you know the key peak of his career with with all of the buzz around TNA. Um, you know, it's great to see all of all of you together. I mean, what's it been like working with? Um, you know, Brock, Brock, especially, but also, you know, John and, um, you know, Arn Anderson. Yeah, well, Brock's phenomenal. He's probably too nice for the wrestling business. I was going to talk to you. So I've known Arn. Uh, I actually met Arn before I even got into the wrestling business. So I've known Arn for over 30 years. I met him through a mutual friend of ours years ago. And so when I started WCW, he, of course, was an agent. Uh, in 97. So I've known Arn, you know, as long as both of us live here in Charlotte. Um, I was blessed to have the opportunity when he lost his older son last year. I got to speak at Barrett's funeral. And so for the um, Arn and, and Brock and Aaron to allow me to do that meant a lot to me. And so I was thankful to do that. But, you know, you talk about the friendships and, you know, about John Schuyler. You know, John Schuyler used to come watch me while he was still in college. And he used to come down, did a show in Orangeburg, South Carolina, which was about 30 minutes from where he was in school at the University of South Carolina. And he and his uh, roommate used to come down once a month and watch me before he ever got into the wrestling business. Wow. So I've known John since he was in college. And when John first started, we did so many matches together. One of my favorite matches this day that I've ever done was an I quit match I had with Skyler at the end of about an eight-month feud. And so I think the world of John, I love him to death. And so, you know, we both laugh about, you know, because we're both you can't be our age group in this business, I don't think, and not be a fan of Arn Anderson and mm -hmm. Arn's work. And you go back and watch what Arn did, it stands up to this day. And, you know, so Arn was at practice last night, he and Brock. And so just to have them around on a continual basis at my wrestling school to like we, we talked about to help my young kids who are just breaking in. They come into practice and they're like, OK, I get to see Lodi. Whoa, Arn Anderson's here. <laughs> you know, it's a whole nother thing there. So um, yeah, the, the friendship Hall of Famer. Right. You know, and the friendships that come out of 
what we do and the time again going back to Skyler, you know some of the the road trips he and I have taken over the years where we had this loop he and I used to do along with uh cash wheeler you know obviously f t r they would do Chicago on Friday night for resistance pro when um Billy Corgan was running some of that up there. I don't know if you know about that. Chicago was an indie group and Raven was helping book that. But I got them booked on a show. My daughter's up in Ohio and I would do a show in Pittsburgh, which is about a seven hour drive north of North Carolina where I am. And they would do Chicago on Friday night. I would drive up to Pittsburgh. They would meet me in Pittsburgh and then we would do that show, and then we would drive home after the show, which is about seven hours to get home, Rachel. and do a show in Char- and well, do a show in Charleston, South Carolina, at four thirty on Sunday afternoon. So, and we did that repeatedly over and over. And you're in a car with a guy for seven hours. You go do a show for four or five hours, seven hours coming back. You spend a lot of time with someone. It's like I said, being on the road. With, you, you get to know these people better than family. And, you know, the, you talk about some close-knit friendships that come out of those. That's the kind of thing that you get. This episode of Wrestling Life is brought to you in partnership with our friends over at Legacy Sports Nutrition. Take your physical and mental performance to the next level with Test X9, a natural testosterone booster. Clinically proven, Test X9 from Legacy Sports Nutrition is NSF certified, third-party lab tested, and made in the US of A. And it's brought to you by friends of the show, three-time world champion Nick Aldis and 10-time world champion Mickey James. Nick developed and uses these products himself, so you know they work, and he shows you how over at LegacySupps.com with links to clinical studies on each of the nine key ingredients. No bull, no bro science, just facts. It's time to level up your strength, energy, libido, and drive now with Test X9 from Legacy Sports Nutrition. And if you want to really level up, go for the ultimate test stack, adding T-Assist, a pro-grade estrogen inhibitor and test enhancer, and the best-selling sleep aid Recovery PM, and discover why improving your sleep is the key to unlocking your mental and physical potential. So stop settling for average. Go to LegacySupps.com now and use the promo code WRESTLINGLIFE for 10% off your entire order. That's promo code WRESTLINGLIFE. And if you subscribe to have it shipped every 30 days, you can still get the discount every single time. So head on over now to LegacySupps.com and level up with Legacy. And that's what I'm, I, I'm hugely respectful of as well as a, as a fan of this business for 35 years. Like I'm, 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 I've become so much more aware as I've got older in terms of the sacrifices you have to make. You know, you're talking about seven hour road trips. That's, <laughs> that's not unusual. You know, it's, it, I think it's so overlooked. It's not. That, yeah, that, that, that's one way. You know, a lot of people don't grasp that there are a lot of shows, you know, now doing independent shows, airports and stuff after 9-11, you know, the whole thing changed with the ease of flying. And if a show for me personally is seven or eight hours, I would almost rather drive than fly and deal with the airports and the waiting and the hassle of security and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, if you've got a seven hour drive, there's nothing like being home at night. So I'm, I'm going to drive seven hours to do the show. I'm doing the show and I'm coming home. And I may get home at six or seven on Sunday morning. You know, I may, I may be up 24, 25 hours, but I'm getting home and getting my own bed. So there's a lot of that involved. And those are the things, you know, sometimes the fans just don't see the other side of it, you know, because they don't see, they just know, oh, Lodi wrestled in Charleston or oh, Lodi mm-hmm. wrestled in Georgia or oh, Lodi wrestled in Pittsburgh. And they don't just see the time that goes behind it. And and I, I don't put that out there, like you know, like you said, to to get people to be like, oh my goodness, you sacrifice so much. That's my choice. That's what nobody makes me do this. You know, we choose to do it because we love it. Yeah, you know, there there's something to it. And and in this regard now, because when I get to those shows, you know, my pictures and my merchandise have a Bible verse on them, and so there's more to it than just me going there and getting paid. Because before the show or intermission or after the show, I mean, I may meet somebody that's either never heard of Jesus or gotten away from Jesus and needs to hear something to get them to come back. It's so funny here when you talk about seven hour trips, because nothing underscores the cultural divide between you and I on other sides of the Atlantic than that. I mean, seven hours, you are literally crossing the whole of the UK in seven hours. You are going from top to bottom <laughs> of my country. So, I, you, you know, 
it, I almost brought this up a few minutes ago. We did a we did a UK tour with the World Wrestling All Stars. Yeah, and since you had Mark, you had Marcus on your show, and we were laughing. The match was Buff versus um, Stevie Ray. Buff is, of course, the babyface, and Stevie Ray's the heel. And we help me out here. Sheffield is what? Is that Sheffield's where is she? Is she? Kind of in the middle, slightly up. Yeah. We were we were either in Sheffield the night before or in Sheffield. Sheffield's in England, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Wherever we were the night before was uh, not in England. And Buff comes out and says, Sheffield, wherever we were the night before, he got the country wrong, right? <laughs> uh, like whichever one it was or we were somewhere there. And yeah. they all started booing him. You talk about yeah. you don't get a second, you don't get you don't get a redo on the mic, they, and so they they had to switch the whole re- the whole match. Stevie Ray became the babyface, and Buff had to be the heel <laughs> because. And we got he got back in the back, and we you know back then we were all drinking. But he's like nobody told me we were a different. He said I didn't see the sign because we were on a bus. He's like yeah. I didn't see the sign. Nobody told me. <laughs> yeah, like, great Great Britain is very territorial when it comes to Scotland, yeah. England, the Wales. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I, it was either yeah, it was either Wales or the night before somewhere, and, and he, yeah, he got I, it backwards. And, Sheffield Wales or something like that. He just got that part of it wrong, and they booed him out of the building bin. It was great. <laughs> I remember going to a going to a WWF house show in 1996, which was held in well, it was hold, held in we we pronounce it Birmingham. It kind of all rolls into Birmingham. And the yeah. announcer said, "It's great to be here in Birmingham," and fifteen thousand. WWE young WWE fans started instant Ooh. heat for that ring announcer. Probably had no idea what they'd done wrong, but um, but this but- you know this is what I love about a re- wrestling product. It just it spans geographies, doesn't it? It's a worldwide product, right. it's a universal language, and um, yes, you know I, I I just you know I feel blessed to be part of this community. I feel blessed to be having able to have conversations like this now because it's a very special business that we've both you know has been such a big part of both of our lives, and um, you know I just want you know, good things for this industry and, yes, you know, sir. the people, the talent that are involved in it. Um, one thing I was going to ask about before we wrap up, I mean, there's there's a reason this is called Wrestling Life and a big part of it is because it's about the, you know, the real stories behind the talent involved. Um, and I would, I'd kind of be remiss if I, if I didn't ask you a little bit, you alluded to, to it briefly, but about your drug addiction and your struggles yes, with, with painkillers, um, you know, which thankfully you overcame after going through rehab. Um Looking back now, Brad, how did that experience change you and shape your life and the man you are today? Uh, I think when I go back now and I speak of my drug use and the things I did, my biggest fear has always been that I would somehow, some way, talk about it in a way that glamorized it for young kids. And I never wanted to do that because I lost friends and acquaintances to uh, drug overdoses and suicide. And I saw it destroy lives and marriages and relationships, mine included. Um, It gives me now some credence or some background to help someone else that's having those issues because they can't look at me and say, you don't know what I'm going through. Oh, yes, I do, because I've been there. <laughs> and then they might listen. I was a youth group leader for seven years at my church, and my co-leader for a couple of years was our youth pastor, whose dad was a pastor, who didn't drink a beer until he was 32. And whenever I wasn't there, we always had the junior and senior boys at high school. And anytime a drug-related question would come up or something like that, of course, they would tell Matt, they're like, ah, you don't know what it's like. Hey, call Lodi and ask him. <laughs> they would listen to me because they knew about my past. So it gave me in their eyes, uh, some credence, like I said, or some cred, the credentials to be able to talk about it because I, I have overcome that with God's help and I have suffered because of it. And I do feel like part of that was me losing part of my losing my job and not being better and WCW was based on the fact that I struggled so much with my addictions and you never saw me perform sober. And and that's something that I'm not 
I don't say in a bragging type way. It's it's almost embarrassing at this point to say that, but it's just a fact and it's true. And so obviously now I perform without it and, and can do it. But back then, I don't even know if I could. I was so out of my mind, you know, with the addiction and the drugs at that point. So now it, it gives me a basis to be able to understand when somebody's struggling and because as a sober adult, as long as I've been clean and sober, like I said, the further away I get from it, the more embarrassing it is that I was that way, but I can understand somebody that's dealing with it because someone that's never had a problem with addiction or never had a problem with drugs, I don't think you can get inside someone's head and understand what they're dealing with and going through when they're really not just wanting a drug, but physically addicted to it to where mm. they can't function without it. And I can talk about that because I've been there. I know what it's like. So I, again, I go back on it. And if, if everything I went through helps me somewhere along the way to save one person or help one person, it was worth it. And, and I know that I've helped more than that already. But I think that's one of the reasons God kept me here was to take that story as bad as it is and as bad as it was and show that there is victory on the other side and it can be overcome with his help. Bless you, my friend. There is. Um, Thank you, sir. There's, there's nothing I can ask that will, that will top that really just, it's just <laughs> great, great to see you. I think, you know, what, one of the most heartbreaking crushing things about being, you know, and this is just being a wrestling fan, not being a performer is how many of you know the, the talents that I've looked up to and idolized seem have gone far too soon. And I can only imagine what that's like when these these people are your peers and your friends. And I'm so pleased whenever I see, you know, someone like yourself when I have a conversation with, you know, like like Marcus Bagwell recently, for example, it just brings yeah. me so much joy to, you know, when you see someone who's come out the other side and who's living life fully now. Um yes, sir. Because at the end of the day, this is a, it's an entertainment art form, and it's heartbreaking how many lives have been, um, you know, sadly ended far too soon through it. And um, so, yeah, just keep keep doing what you're doing, keep looking after yourself, and you know, keep keep paying it forward, one person at a time. Yes, sir, absolutely. How can um, how can my audience kind of connect with you, lady, on social media and with what you're doing with Team Fearless? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my Facebook is uh, Brad Lodi Kane. There are two of them. My Lodi page, uh, Instagram, it's Lodi One Brad. Same thing on Twitter. All my social media stuff's kind of connected. So if you get on one, you can find the other stuff. But any any of those platforms would be a good way to reach out to me if they need to shoot me a message or follow me there and keep up with what's going on with the weight room revival. Not a TikToking yet. <sighs> No, I've stayed away from that one. I'm like, you know what? I, I put a hold on that. I didn't get into the Snapchat thing. I ain't got into the TikTok thing. I think I'm going to cap it right here for now. <laughs> I think I think that's I think that's very sensible. Uh, last thing I want to ask you is: there, Is there any? Obviously, you're training a lot of kind of new talent in entering in business. Is there one bit of advice that you? A lot of the listeners of this show are you know quite new to the business or interested in entering a business. Is there one bit of advice to try and make it in in today's professional wrestling scene that you give? Oh. Obviously, if you look back through my career, they are what we call body guys who look the part. They look physically imposing, they're muscular or whatever. I grew up with the 80s and the Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Those guys are always larger than life to me. And knowing them as adults, even in their 60s and 70s, they're still big men, Ben. Um, I, yeah. That's what I prefer my wrestlers. I don't mind... And I know everything changes, the flips, the flops, and the more acrobatic styles, pretty crazy. Um, the guys have gotten a little smaller, but I still feel like you've got to be in shape and you got to look the part. Um, so the physically fit thing is, is one of the most – you always just like, well, what about mankind? He didn't look the best. Or they're like Kevin Owens, or they'll throw one or two names out there. But cardio-wise, these guys can still go. So physically – you may not look like you're a Mr. Olympia, but you got to have the cardiovascular conditioning and the physical ability to do the job. Because if you don't, somebody's going to get hurt. And, and a lot of times it's not you because it's you get tired, you get winded, you get blown up and you forget what you're supposed to do. And the other guy gets hurt. And I just can't allow that with my wrestling kids. So I'm on them big time about their physical fitness and staying in shape and making sure they have a college degree to fall back on. Because wrestling is, you know, the ones who make it 
and making a lifetime out of it are few and far between. I'm not saying it can't be done. It takes a lot of work. And I always tell my kids, you get out of it what you put into it, you know. So it, it can be all-encompassing. But if you, if you learn your craft and learn how to wrestle, remember, the marquee still says wrestling. It doesn't say Cirque du Soleil. It doesn't say acrobatics. If you learn how to wrestle, you look the part, you know how to talk, you got a good shot of being decent. And you know what? If someone who's had open heart surgery and then goes on and carries on wrestling <laughs> tells me to look after my physical health, then I will believe you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> doing something right. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time, Brad. Um, I encourage everyone yes, who's checked out the show today to, you know, check out the Weight Room Revive if, if you're interested in exploring that. Look at what look at Team Fearless Wrestling Academy. Follow follow Brad. Um, follow Lady. He often shares lots of good stuff as well from his his WCW days as well as what he's doing now. Um, and yeah, if you've enjoyed today's show, please share it with a, share it with someone else. That makes all the difference for a show like this. And um, join us on social media. Let Brad and I know what you think using the hashtag Wrestling Life Pod. So that's us wrapped for today. Thank you, lady, for this awesome conversation. Thank, Thank you for you. having me, sir. Appreciate it. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Thank you to my friend Jeff Easton from Tall Lake Productions for bringing Wrestling Life to life as always. Thanks to all of you for joining us. We'll be back real soon for more real talk from real talent. Until next time, be good to each other. I've been Ben Veal. This has been Wrestling Life, and I'm out of here. See ya.